Welcome to The Big Schmear. I'm Beth Schenker, your host, and I'm excited for my conversation today with Chef Zachary Engel. If you don't know the name, you will be very knowledgeable about him before too long, and you'll understand why I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk with him today. Hi, Zach, and welcome to The Big Schmear. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm so happy to meet you, and I appreciate you taking time out of your, I know, very busy schedule to sit here and talk with me. I thought maybe we would get started with having you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in food and cooking. Have you had that interest since you were a little kid? Um, Yeah, so I grew up mostly in Orlando. My dad is a rabbi at a reform synagogue down there. And we traveled quite a lot, went out to a bunch of restaurants, and then I would cook a lot for myself at home just because I wanted to make what I wanted to make and would sort of experiment a little bit and dabble here and there and like different things. Um, how to boil pasta, uh-huh. you know, when I was younger and, and figuring it out. And then the tweaking from the time before to the next trial and seeing what the differences would be. And so I really enjoyed that part of it. And it was really just something I did just like for fun at home for a while. So how old were you when you started doing that? Like 12, 13. Uh-huh. And were either of your parents particularly good cooks or did they or did they just and what did they think about you doing all this? Was it sort of um, not mentioned or My it... my parents aren't particularly great cooks. I don't have those stories of like tugging at the apron yeah. strings of of like your grandmother or whatever. I think they just were like, okay, I guess you you enjoy it. That's a nice thing you get to enjoy to do. And they didn't really think much of it for a while because I didn't really I didn't really decide to do this until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And so early on when you were cooking, I'm just curious, was there, it, it doesn't sound like it, but mm-hmm. was there some kind of connection that you made to cooking and Jewish food or was it just kind of food in general? At first, it really was just kind of food. I, I had started at Tulane in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and so I was, like, experiencing Creole and Cajun food and going out to restaurants, and it's pretty cheap to eat there. And I just kind of decided, like, oh, I really – I think this is, a, like, this is a cool thing, and I was, like, getting more into cooking, and I decided to do it when I really – jumped into restaurants full on. I had taken a job before I got into restaurants, actually. I had taken a job at Tulane's Hillel, and I was cooking two nights a week at Tulane's Hillel for three years in college. So I would make dinner for all the students on Wednesday and then Shabbat dinner on Friday. And that was the extent to most of my involvement on Jewish life on campus at Tulane was really through that. And so it developed into this this practice of cooking either for Jewish people or Jewish foods, sort of really just for extra spending money. But that was how I got connected to the Jewish community at Tulane. Interesting. So I, I know you studied business when you mm-hmm. were at Tulane. Correct. And I'm guessing now that's really been helpful and perhaps even earlier on in your career. But at the time that you were studying business, where was the, your path going to go at that point? I decided to go into the business school because 
I convinced myself without knowing anything about restaurants that that's what I wanted to do. I don't have any family that's run restaurants. I didn't really know anybody that ran restaurants. I didn't really understand it. I just decided that I wanted to do it. And so business school was kind of like a program I could get a good education in, make my parents happy. And if it didn't work out, I would be able to find a job. And that was kind of the whole thing. It ended up really picking up when I was graduating, I decided to jump full in to restaurants and cooking in restaurants. And so the degree really took a backseat for like a, several years. But it was like if I decided I didn't like it, if I didn't like working in restaurants and I didn't like cooking and it was too hard or whatever, I would be able to use that degree at that point. So it was really a safety net for me. Yeah, I've heard stories like that, bef- similar to that before. So it's just interesting. Maybe you could talk to me a little bit about your training as a chef. And I know you didn't have formal culinary training, but I also know that you had some really wonderful people that you worked with. So maybe tell me a little bit about that. My first real job in a restaurant was with Alon Shia at Domenica when he first opened it. And I was, I took an entry level position making like I was a pastry assistant. I was making like cookie doughs and cake batters and and stuff like that, like very simple stuff. And someone helped me get connected to him and I took the job and it made me realize I wanted to cook. And then I had been to Israel a bunch and I kind of decided that if I was going to cook professionally and the end game was to own a restaurant, the restaurant that probably makes the most sense for me to to open or to, to run is something that's Jewish or Israeli. And I'd known Michael Salmana for quite a while, and I emailed him, can I come up and work for you when I graduate? And that was in 2010, like summer of 2010 is when I started with him. And that was at a point where Zahav was like a year and a half, almost two years old, and he was still really exploring a lot of the classic cuisines and techniques that are in Israel. Not a lot of stuff that was too, like, chefy. It was like, this is a very good kebab. This is good bread. This is how you make rice. And so I got a really strong foundation from him. And I learned about ingredients and flavor profiles and all that. And when I was in college, before I really even started, I had somebody who was a mentor for me that told me, don't waste your time and go to culinary school. You have a four-year degree. You're not going to get anything else out of culinary school necessarily that you can't go get a library card and read a book or go and work for somebody and get paid to learn. And if you work for the right people, they need you to work for them so their business operates just as much as you need them to show you strong mentorship and really take you under their wing and like kind of you have to absorb their style. Like you want to work with people that you get a lot of one-on-one time with them. And so that advice really forged how I made a lot of my decisions on who to work for and where to work. And the the first one was really with Michael at Zahaf was there's no one else that I know of that's on a fine dining chef level with his experience cooking this kind of food. So at the time there was no other option for me if that's what I wanted to do is cook Israeli food or cook Jewish food there was no one else to work for, at least to my knowledge. And so that was why I made that decision to move there and go work for him. And then um, 
the next decision that I made was to actually go to Israel and work for Mayor Adoni at Katit, which is now closed, but was like very lavish fine dining. And that was more or less like he's known as the best chef in Israel at the time. And I really wanted to get more into fine dining. And so I worked in that kitchen, super long hours, lots of like fine dining techniques, really expensive ingredients. The style of of cooking was very different than what I was doing at Zahav. So that kind of opened my eyes. And then I decided with my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I told her, I was like, I really want to move to California. I want to work at a Michelin star restaurant. And I sent resumes out and I had a couple of stages, which are like hang out for a couple of days and, and, you know, show them your skills. And for me, it was always like, I have to prove that I could be a value employee, but also I want to see if I am really in three days, I have to decide if I'm going to get what I want out of this, you know, one to two years that I'm going to work in this restaurant with the chef for, if this is the person that I want to work for, if the food that they're cooking is right. And I worked at a few different restaurants and a lot of them were not a great fit for me at the time. They were either too fine dining or they were not really wanted to be cooking. It's like very like French. And I ended up at a place called Madrona Manor for a couple reasons. One was there's a garden on the estate where we were like picking stuff for dinner service. So it was literally going from ground to kitchen to plate within a couple hours. And the California growing season is, you know, there's nothing that compares to it. And he worked for Jeremiah Tower at Stars. He's the father of California cuisine. He was the chef at Chez Panisse um, when everything was getting started. And I I have a pretty good relationship with him. I've known him for a few years now. And I decided if I wanted to kind of work for Jeremiah in a way, I'd have to work for Jesse, who worked for him at Stars in San Francisco. And so that all made sense to me, and, and, and that was a really great fit for me. Small kitchen, a lot of hands-on, one-on-one you know, interaction with Jesse and the sous chefs. And I got a great deal of knowledge out there, and I also learned a lot about wine. So I started to round out a lot as well. It wasn't about food. It was service and wine and all the extra things like you know, produce and seasonality and like really getting my hands in the dirt. And then I thought to myself, oh, I'm a, I'm a big shot now, so I'm ready to go. And ended up moving to New Orleans thinking I could open an Israeli restaurant in New Orleans because I, I was 26, like thought I was a big deal. Ended up taking a job with Susan Manick, who was the chef at Gotro's. I worked there for three months. And I would have kept working there for a long time because Sue is extremely talented. She had just won a Beard Award for Best Chef South. And it was a really, it was the kind of kitchen where the culture was really positive and everyone really like got along really well together. And we were very proud of what we're doing, even though a lot of it was like classic New Orleans Creole stuff. And, um, and then Alon Shia called again and he told me he was opening up Shia. And, and for people who aren't familiar with that restaurant. So that was Israeli restaurant in New Orleans, um, opened in 2015. I was hired as a sous chef and under Alon's guidance, really got to show what I could do with like what I'd gained with from working for Michael and Mayor and Jesse and, and all these people and kind of like enveloping it into my own style. Uh, and I'm guessing you were part of that 
how the food evolved when you were at For sure. We had a really, really constructive, creative process. At Shia, there was there were items that were like on the opening menu, and we tweaked and tested and retested different variables to get the ideal hummus, the ideal baba ganoush. And so those things never came off the menu or never altered because um, we felt very good about their quality. There were dishes that were reflective of Alan's heritage, a lot of Bulgarian stuff from like his grandmother and his mother, and um, his father's like Romanian heritage. And so that was stuff that like we didn't touch because those sorts of things become, they become like the standing imprint for what that restaurant is. Like those are foundational blocks for the identity. And great restaurants have those foundational blocks set and they continue with them. And then there was a direction where Alon was, would say, I want to do this. And I'd say, okay, cool. I'll give you a couple of versions and then we'll kind of tweak them and go from there. There were some dishes that I would tell him like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, I don't know. And then I'd bring it to him and be like, okay, that works. And then there was, there was some stuff that was like purely driven by what was available to us or us deciding like, oh man, we really, we really want to do a halloumi dish on the menu. Let's try and source some really great halloumi. And then we will figure out what we can add to it to like, magnify the flavor of the cheese and and like cook seasonally and not do too much and so that process was really three years of us really like on a personal level really exploring more of the cuisine and we were just on fire like we just couldn't stop there was really not a lot of writer's block happening in that creative process which was awesome and now the last year we like when I was, I was just finished working with them and we opened a new restaurant in New Orleans called Saba. And that is, has those foundational blocks that we set up at Shia. And then Kara Peterson, who's the chef de cuisine, who is my sous chef at Shia, who also worked at Zahav, she's kind of able to personalize that menu and take it in a direction that has her imprint on it, just like I did at Shia. But also like at the same time, Alon likes to pull things towards a direction that he thinks is like the way he wants the restaurant to go. So some more traditional stuff or whatever. And I think sometimes as a chef, people feel like um, in order to be creative, they have to like have no restrictions on them. I think that works for certain people. If they're like the Ferran and Albert Adria's like the elbowy guys, like no restrictions, they can do whatever they want. And it's phenomenal. I find that having restrictions to your creative process are actually the things that make me more creative. Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, of uh, the structure of jazz. So right. You have Absolutely. The, you have these boundaries, but it allows you to just explore things and be open. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like you had a really great relationship with Alan, and it also sounds like, I mean, I'm really impressed that you had this plan in place and knew what kind of people you needed to speak to, what places you needed to put yourself. And you succeeded, obviously. You've got, you followed the path that you needed to follow. Do you feel like you missed something by not going to culinary school? Or I mean, it doesn't no, sound like it to me. but Not at all. I think that I would have probably, with where I was at in my life, 
if I had gone to culinary school, I probably would have dropped out anyway. Legitimately, I don't think that at that point, a culinary school is going to offer me what I wanted. And for what I've been doing for the last 10 years, I don't think that anything that I've been doing and how I've been building everything up in my career and like learning from different people and about different facets of like this business and cooking, there's very few things that I haven't encountered myself just by working in the field that they could have shown me that would have given me a competitive edge. I don't think that's the case for everybody, though. I think sure. some people, it's it's the right fit. For me at the time, it was definitely not. And um, I don't know if this is something you can explain or even talk about, but how was it that you knew so early on that you wanted to be in Jewish food or Israeli food? And, and probably then was Israeli restaurants weren't so much out there at that point. I think that... It's hard because I think that like now it seems like I've been really focused on this for a really long time. And I think back then it was kind of like I just decided that that's what I wanted to do almost arbitrarily. I didn't have some sort of calling or like decide that, you know, I could only I I could be cooking French food right now. I could be cooking Italian food. I just kept getting more and more into it, but also I went on birthright when I was 18, and I cooked in Israel when I was 22, 23. And so that kept tying me back to it. And life's really interesting. I'm not going to act like I know everything about life because I'm 30 years old, but my life so far has been pulling me back into, like, deeper and deeper and deeper into this thing that I decided I was going to do 10 years ago very arbitrarily. Um, so it's funny, but I was talking to, I have a couple of friends in town. Um, we all went to summer camp together. And so they've been here since they graduated from college. And I said last night, I was with them and I was like, I love it here. It's great. I'm so happy to be here. I get to see you guys. I have like a lot of opportunities here that are phenomenal, but like, I can't believe I waited this long to get up here. And then my friend was like, yeah, but if you had come up here before, you would not have the opportunity that you have now. And um, I think that it's, you know, it's like things just kind of very lucky. I'm very, I've had a lot of great opportunities and things just really fell into place. And now after 10 years, this is kind of, I approach it as like, this is my life's work and will continue to be for a long time. You're sharing a recipe with us, which I'm really excited about. Tell me what that is and uh, maybe just a little bit about it. Sure. It's a uh, beets with black garlic, tahini, pumpernickel, and dill. And so part of the menu at Galit is going to be a lot of like vegetable-focused stuff. And beets and tahini is a very common combination that you see a lot of salad team, either at a falafel shawarma stand or at a sit-down restaurant that serves like shpudim, like kebabs and everything. Um, and so what I'm going to be doing is almost the same stuff, but taking it in more of an Eastern European direction with the dill and the pumpernickel. So it's roasted beets, tahini made with uh, black garlic, which is like a fermented garlic that turns black and has like a, a rich a flavor of umami in there. Uh, pumpernickel, rye bread, breadcrumbs, and a bunch of dill on top. God, it sounds amazing. Yeah, just it's really four ingredients, really simple. And the flavor profile just kind of like is very big and bold, but you know, rooted in a classic dish. 
And it sounds kind of, uh, I always think of beats more in the winter. That's just me. Right. But it sounds like a hearty kind of winter-ish kind of flavors. Yeah. And so a lot of the menu at Galit will have like more vegetable salads that are like smaller dishes of like well-cooked vegetables. Brussels sprouts, beets, cucumber, carrot, that kind of stuff. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for listening to The Big Schmear today. My recording engineer is Nick Brosty, and our mix engineer is Steve Robinson. The Big Schmear theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo for their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the CD record label. Be sure to subscribe to The Big Schmear and like us on Facebook. Don't forget to check out thebigschmear.com to find recipes shared with my guests. Thank you for listening, and happy eating. Happy eating.